0: Hi everybody, welcome to Lost Floors Church, and if you're new, if this is first time you're tuning in, welcome, we're glad that you chose to join us, and if you have been listening for a while, welcome back. We are looking at Genesis, we're actually going through Genesis starting in chapter 12 a few weeks ago, we started talking about Abraham, and how Abraham and his descendants basically still affect our faith and our relationship with God today. Uh, last week, we talked about the covenant and the impact that the covenant had. And, and so we looked at the Abrahamic covenant and then the new covenant that Jesus ushered in. And both of these covenants are just love-driven. Uh, as opposed to a lot of the covenants in that day and time when Abraham and God made this covenant, uh, they were for political reasons or for power. But with God, it was simply about love and relationship. And, and that's the same as it is today. God wants a relationship with us. That's why we have the new covenant through Jesus. You know, interestingly enough, this, this faith that we have in God is a very grace and love-driven faith. Uh, but I remember if I go back to college. I wasn't raised in the Nazarene church. I was raised in the church. And so it wasn't until I was 19 years old that I came to faith in in Jesus. And I started going to this school, Mid-America Nazarene. And when I first went there, I began to realize pretty quickly that that there was kind of a, I don't know, a hierarchy in the school. These people that have been Nazarenes for years, they'd gone to church camp together. They went to church together. They they all knew each other and I was kind of this this outsider. And, and so in the process of of over a couple years becoming a religion major and being called felt I felt called to be a pastor in this church and and I remember I felt this way from the very beginning and all the way up until I graduated that I didn't belong being a pastor of this church even though I felt this this tugging I never really felt like I was adequate to be a pastor and for several reasons I didn't have the Nazarene heritage I didn't I didn't feel like I was good enough to be a pastor because these guys they were smart they they seemed to have it all together they weren't you know like me <laughs> and so so in all honesty as I came to the end of my my time at Met America and getting ready to graduate I, I felt like I could not be a pastor that that I didn't fit that mold of being a pastor, and so I ran from it. and And what's interesting is now I look back and go, I'm glad I don't fit that mold because we're all created different. But at the time, I thought I didn't fit that mold because there's something wrong with me. Uh, but the more I study the Bible, the more I study God's relationship with man, the better it makes me feel about about my own inadequacies and my, my own shortcomings. And, and so when you look at the life of Abraham, I, Abraham made all kinds of mistakes. And yet at the times that God or that he needed God, that that he was in need, God always provided for him. Just in the instance when he was gonna sacrifice his son Isaac. And, and as he's there, God stops him and then God provides a ram. He provides the sacrifice. And it seems to be that way throughout human history. Mankind messes up, or or they get to a place where they just can't do it. And what we need is we need a Savior, but we need a grace and love-driven God. And that's who the God of the Bible is. And and now we're going to pick up in chapter 24. We're going to continue talking about Abraham, and now we're going to get into his descendants, especially Isaac and his son Jacob. Abraham lived to be 175 years old. He ended up having lots of children and lots of grandchildren. But, but Isaac, you remember Isaac, was that promised child. And so we're going to follow the line of Isaac. And beginning in chapter 24, we find that Abraham is really wanting Isaac to have a good wife. And not from the land they're in now, because to him those were foreign people. So he sends his servant back to the land that he came from. And his servant goes back there and he takes with him all kinds of gold and silver and other servants, which really is showing that he's very wealthy. Because at this point, Abraham had become quite wealthy. And so he sends his servant back there. And his servant, through through a process, finds this woman named Rebekah. And he meets Rebekah and he immediately knows that Rebekah is the one for Isaac. And then Rebecca brings him home to her family, and, and here this this servant of Abraham is telling the family he came here to find Rebecca. That he came here, and, and he has all this gold and silver, and he is going to bring her back and, uh, and marry Isaac. Now, you can understand as a dad, you'd be a little hesitant. Now, very different culture, right? But Rebecca's ready to go. Uh, the dad's ready to send her on the mom and the brother are like I don't know about this but eventually Rebecca talks them into and says I I want to go and maybe it's she found herself a rich man hadn't even seen him yet but but here the servant goes and she has this brand new beautiful gold nose ring and, and some bracelets and here she goes and sure enough she meets Isaac and they hit it off and it is Good. In chapter 25 of Genesis, Rebekah and Isaac begin to have children. And, and they have two children. One is Esau and one is Jacob. And they're actually twins. Uh, but in that day, it was very important which twin came out first. And so I want to read to you what Genesis 25 verses 22 through 26 says. The babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. Then the time came for her to give birth. There were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out, with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. So from the very beginning, these two are just kind of at each other. They, they, they are at war in one way or another, and they're very different. Even though they were twins, they were very different. And, and Jacob ended up being kind of a, a mama's boy. He didn't have a real hairy body, and he liked to be at home and help his mom, and he liked to cook, and things like that. And then there's Esau. Esau was this manly man, covered in hair, maybe he looked like the Duck Dynasty guys, loved to hunt. And, and so the mom and Jacob hit it off. They became each other's favorite. And then dad, Isaac, and Esau, they became each other's favorites. And so that's kind of how the story unfolds. And, and one day Esau comes home from hunting. And he's tired, and he's worn out, and he's looking for a meal, and his mom must not be there. So, so he tells Jacob, who's cooking a meal, "Hey, give me some of that food." And Jacob says, "You know what? I, I don't think I will. I, I'll give it to you on one condition." And Esau says, "Well, whatever. I'm about to die. Give me the, give me the stew." And so Jacob says, "Well, since you came out first, you're the older one." I, I'll give you the stew if you give me your birthright. And Esau, being, I guess, this typical dumb man, says, sure, can have my birthright. Give me the stew, and he eats. And honestly, Esau doesn't think anything else of it, just kind of a a blip on the map. But Jacob never forgets that moment. I want to read to you what it says in verse 34. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, Then he got up and left. And so Esau despised his birthright. And so here, the writer of Genesis is basically saying, Esau, in this moment, just like didn't care. Didn't care, and that will come back and haunt Esau. In chapter 26, we have just a few events that happen in this chapter, but the first thing we see is Isaac is very much like his father, Abraham. Uh, the king of the Philistines actually comes to him and he is afraid. That he's gonna take Rebecca and kill him, so he tells the king just like his dad did that Rebecca was his sister, and this turned out really bad. and And Isaac then gets confronted by the king. King's like, "Why didn't you tell me this stuff?" And he tells him, "You gotta move away. You're too powerful. I don't trust you. Get out of here." So the king makes him move away. And and remember that's the king of the Philistines we hear later about the Philistines they became enemies of the Israelites. And then at the end of this chapter Esau gets married. Unfortunately, he marries two Canaanite women, two two foreign women, and it says that they became a source of grief to Rebekah and Isaac. So so Esau, who was the firstborn, is is now uh, he's not in the best light, and, and his his wives are driving his parents crazy. And then we go on to chapter twenty-seven. So in chapter twenty-seven, now you have some big stuff happening, and this this is this is game changer for the the nation of Israel for Abraham and his descendants. You have Isaac, his his firstborn. He's old. He's about to die. He can't see, and he's ready to give the birthright to Esau. And so he tells Esau, I'm about to die. I need you to go out, hunt some game, and bring that meat back to me, cook it up, and we're going to eat that, and I'm going to give you your birthright. I'm going to give you your your blessings. And and so as soon as he leaves, Jacob and Rebekah, Isaac's wife, they start scheming to get Jacob the birthright. And you just have to stop and think about the family dynamics here. That's not a healthy dynamic. But, but the mom, Rebecca goes as far as putting animal hair on, on Jacob so that when the father, who's blind now, touches him, will think that it's Jacob. And she even puts Jacob's clothes on him so he'll feel the clothes and smell the clothes and smell Jacob. And they cook up some game. And so Jacob goes in and he deceives his father and gets his blessing, gets basically the birthright given to him. And and then Esau returns, and, and he goes into the room, and his father goes, well, what are you doing here? Who are you? And discovers what's happened, and both of them realize it. And Isaac is distraught and upset, but Esau is angry. He is furious. I'm going to read to you what it says, Genesis twenty seven forty one through 43. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to him, The days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, Your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. And so, now Jacob is going to have to be on the run. First of all, in chapter 28, he goes into his father and his father now feels trapped, has to give uh, Jacob an actual blessing. But in telling them this, he says, hey, listen, do not marry uh, the women of this land. Don't do what your brother did. Do one thing for me, at least go back and find a wife from our people. And, And so here Jacob gets the blessing and he sets out on his journey. So now Jacob is for the most part on the run, or hiding from his brother Esau, who wants to kill him. And honestly, kind of for good reasons, right? Jacob's a schemer and and he stole something that was that was Esau's. But here he goes and he's going back to his mom's family. So Rebecca's brother is Laban. So he goes back to that land. But on the way, he has this dream, and it's a pretty significant dream. I'm going to read it to you in Genesis 28, 10 through 13. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth. With its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. Now, obviously, this is the place where Jacob writes the original version of Stairway to Heaven that later Led Zeppelin stole, but I'm I am joking about that. It's it's not the same thing. But he did have a dream about a stairway to heaven, and the significance of this has been disputed, and it can't really be proven one way or the other. But one thing we do know for sure is that at this moment, it's pretty significant if it's being written about, is he has this dream, and basically to me it's signifying that God is reminding him of the covenant renewing almost of the covenant, reminding him that, hey, you're obligated, I'm obligated, I'm going to give you this land. Just remember that that this promise is on to you now. You got the birthright. You got the blessings. And so here it is. This is the covenant. Now, Jacob obviously deceived his brother, deceived his own father, and now he's on the run. And he gets to this, this new land. And there he gets there, and the first person he sees is this beautiful woman named Rachel. And he immediately begins to to feed her sheep and, and to to take over her, and he discovers, this is my cousin. And he meets Laban, who's Rebecca's brother, and Laban brings him in, and, and there's this little family reunion, and so he stays there for a while. And after a while, um, Laban, the the brother of his mom, says, you know what, you can't just just work here and me not give you anything. So, so let's let's make some deals. And Jacob pipes up immediately. Says, "I, I actually, I've already came up with something. I want, I want to marry Rachel. I want to marry your daughter. She is so beautiful." And Laban says, "That's great. I, I'll give you Rachel." Now there was another sister. Her name was Leah, and they weren't equal. Well, I'm just gonna read it to you so I don't say anything out. At- out of bounds here but it says now laban had two daughters uh, the name of the older one was leah and the name of the younger one was rachel leah had weak eyes but rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful i i don't know what it means by leah had weak eyes if she couldn't see very well or she was just cross-eyed. And I, I don't know. I don't know if it had some other other meaning that she was just not attractive, I think, is the basic gist here. And then you go to Rachel. She was lovely. She had a lovely figure, and she was beautiful. And so that's who, that's who um, Jacob fell in love with. And so Laban makes a deal. You work for me for seven years, and I will give you Rachel. And so Jacob works for seven years, but it was like nothing because it was the love of his life. And when seven years are up, he's so excited and he goes to Laban. Give me my wife. So they have this big ceremony. And in those days the head was covered, they didn't they couldn't see, but obviously he knew it was Rachel. And then they go back and they consummate the marriage, which means they slept together. And the next morning, when Leah wakes up. Jacob then discovers he has the wrong wife, that Laban tricked him. And and so now this is Jacob, who just tricked his dad and his brother, is now being tricked by Rebekah's brother. And so now he's stuck with Leah, but he doesn't want Leah. And so he can't divorce her, but he goes and says, No, I want Rachel as my wife. Now, I'm sure that makes Leah feel great, but... So then Laban says, okay, work me for me for another seven years, and then you can have the wife you want. And so he does. Seven more years. So 14 years he worked for Laban. Finally, he gets Rachel and obviously Rachel's the favorite. But the interesting thing about this story is that Leah is the one that begins to give him children. So obviously wasn't too worried about her bad eyes because she began to have children. And the third child she had was Judah. So from Abraham, uh, now Isaac, Jacob, and now Judah is born. And so you can see the line of Jesus forming here. And what's interesting here is Rachel has no children yet. And so his favorite wife isn't the line that Jesus chooses. And when we just stop and we look at this story right now, we go, man, this was the family that God chose. Uh, This is the family that God said, hey, this is is the line. Uh, My son is going to come out of this line, and I'm going to save the world through this line of people, beginning with Abraham. And you would think, that this would be a model family, right? Like going back to Mid-American Nazarene, you know, you had these longtime Nazarenes and they were upstanding and their parents were upstanding or, or they gave a lot of money, one or the other. And, and so you had this, this example, right? And yet here you look back at the original family of our faith and you go, this isn't a model family. They have multiple wives, Uh, Two of them gave their wives to kings just because they were afraid of being killed. They're stealing, they're lying, they're cheating, and that's just the beginning of things, right? I mean, this family is completely dysfunctional. This is the stuff that Netflix grabs a hold of and, and writes series about because this is the stuff that you go, What? Does that really happen? This family is so dysfunctional. And you know, for honest, it kind of makes me feel better. Because we all have dysfunction, don't we? We're human. We all fall short, right? And and, and so when you go through this line and, and if you remember in John, when John is talking about Jesus being born into the earth, it says he is full of grace and truth. Here comes Jesus, full of grace. Why? Because this is who we are. This is humanity, right? And Paul, who was born into the Jewish line and was a proud Jew, says, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. God's grace is sufficient for you and I. And and you know, it's interesting, after years of... Being out in the working world, I, I felt this tugging still to go back into the ministry or to, to be in the ministry, the, the one that I'd run from, and I wasn't any better. In fact, maybe I was a little bit worse. Uh, my wife was terrified of going back to the ministry. In fact, she literally uh, said that was her biggest fear when we got married, is that I would once again feel this call back into the ministry. And we both felt that way for the same reason. Because we didn't live up to the standard. We weren't good enough. But then you read this. You read about Abraham and his descendants all the way down to us, and you go, oh, yeah, that's right. None of us are perfect. We're all a bit dysfunctional. And we all need the grace of God. That's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of the the covenant it's this love driven covenant that's that's really just one sided it's it's god saying i am giving you everything and really it's us surrendering our dysfunction surrendering our our lack of goodness and just saying your grace god is sufficient let me pray for us dear heavenly father thank you for your grace Thank you for your love, and thank you for your story. That is really our story, too. We thank you for it, and we pray this in your name. Amen.